Hi, you're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. On this podcast, we discuss our relationship with food, whether it is easy or less so, and how it affects our behaviour. I suffered with eating disorders for years, and it took everything to pull through. Now that I'm at the other side, I want to open up the conversation, find out how other people manage this basic and most fundamental of relationships. I'm taking a light approach, but I think if this area of our lives is skewed, then so is the rest. It's never just about food. Welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. Today I'm talking to Abby Attenborough. Abby is a registered associate nutritionist, a personal trainer, and founder of A Plus Nutrition. Despite her knowledge, Abby has struggled with eating disorders in the past, namely anorexia and bulimia. And she's here, in her words, to break the stigma of eating disorders apart. Abby, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Before we go on, what's um? Tell me a little bit about, or tell us a little bit about A Plus Nutrition. Yeah, so it's my virtual uh, nutrition clinic um, okay. that I went, or sort of set up over the past year, really in lockdown um, when I was in Australia, and mm-hmm. um, I've, I've, you know, gone back and forth with names and how I wanted to run this and moving away from personal training, but um, this is really what I want to do. Um, and I'd love for it to grow and just help a wider variety of people. Um, but it's just, you know, getting your name out there is difficult when you're starting as a, a young graduate. Um, but uh, Right. Okay. Yeah. So you are a young graduate. When did you leave uni or your last um, course? I graduated in December 2019 and then I went straight to Australia. Um, wow congratulations <laughs> Thank were you, you studying in Australia or were you were you just taking a year off no I I wanted to my plan was to emigrate out there um okay, I have family fine. in Sydney um mm-hmm. and it's always been my dream to live out there it's quite an easy conversion with culture and language and um yeah I get quite bad SAD in the winter um so I get quite low moods and I was just like I don't want to live six months of my life in the dark and the rain um, in northern Europe yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I went and it was all great but then I was in Melbourne and um unfortunately the lockdown was hit hard pretty much from the get-go uh yeah. in March so but I was obviously I lost my job but was paying rent and it was just a kind of eating into all my savings really. And I just prolonged coming back as much as I could. But I, um, you know, my parents then said, just come back here free of rent and start again. Okay. So, well, good, good for you. Cause you've obviously used the time well, because you've launched a, a platform, a nutritional platform. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I mean, I, I feel I'm very OCD or strict on myself about how productive I am. And I'm always kind of learning and reading but I enjoy it so I know I'm in the right space um yeah I think we're all a bit like that aren't we we're all a bit too hard on ourselves yeah tell me something your um struggle with eating disorders that you've already told me about um so food for you is it is it a friend or foe now or are you still grappling with it all how how is everything I think it definitely comes in waves and sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's a foe. But I think from what I can remember in comparison to say my brother, it's always been a friend to me. I've always been the the one that would eat 
everything in the sense that I wasn't really fussy or um, I enjoy food and I sort of, um, I live to eat in some aspects, whereas, you know, my brother on the complete opposite end of the spectrum is sort of eats to live and is extremely fussy and you know we were brought up exactly the same came from the same womb and yet we're miles apart in completely different yeah, yeah. in how what was so what were the what were the messages that you're that you think you both got from your parents because that is very interesting isn't it mm. um I've, that you are opposite ends of the spectrum does he have eating issues or is no, he fine not at all um and and he struggles to put on weight just his metabolism is so high like my dad's um, whereas okay. I think I've got more of my mum's genes. <laughs> Annoying. Um, <laughs> but that just shows how much also genetics has a play in just the way you're wired um, mm-hmm. yeah. around food. But he's got much better um, with eating more like veg. And, um, and I've always just, I've always eaten healthily in the sense that at school I would always choose the the weirder healthier option not for any other reason other than I actually preferred that food so um did you have things going on at school with with your relationship with food um no not school and um it definitely started much later for me I think the body image and body dysmorphia started at school if if I could have looked back at it you know holding on to the one negative comment out of a hundred like When did that happen? um, I'd say senior school after puberty. Um, Right. Okay. Do you remember the comment? It would be comments like you're like more muscular, but then it's like, it wasn't meant in a mean way. It was kind of like, oh, you play loads of sport. Like you're naturally more muscular, but it's not, not even like you're fat or anything. Like it's so, I understand. It's so minute, but it's something that, that it was just then ingrained in me. And what did you hear? I, I just, then that's, you know, I'm, I'm bigger, I'm bigger than everyone else. Um, and And was everyone desperately trying to be small and thin? Um, I think naturally I was in a group with naturally skinny girls that didn't start their period till they were 16. And so, you know, at the time I was the first one to have boobs and, and wear a bra. I think I hated that at the time. Whereas as we got older, you know, they were wearing push-up bras because they want boobs. But when you're the first one to get them, of course, you don't want to be the first one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it feels really isolating, doesn't it? Because particularly at that age, it's so important to be like everybody. Yeah. Everyone wants to be the same. 100%. And, and I already had quite fiery red hair. So I already mm-hmm. stood out anyway. Um, well, I was never bullied for that either, for ginger hair. Um, were you bullied? Did you say? You no, I said I was never oh. bullied. Um, okay, okay. But I think, you know, as you probably know as well, eating disorders are a combination of your personality type, your environment and and, and genetics. And I think I know my personality type and it's very uh, sensitive. It's very... Mm-hmm. Uh, hard on myself and very but also competitive and perfectionism and that is just a concoction for (laughs) yeah that's I just throw everything into the mix so when did it blow up for you then when did yes when when did it all kind of um um happen I'd say it blew up uh leaving sixth form and going to uni um and when you I've got to ask because I remember leaving home and going to uni um 
do you think leaving home, actually leaving that environment was the catalyst? No, because I was at boarding school in sixth form, so I was used to being away oh, from home. Okay. I, the life change I can think of at that stage was uh, a breakup from a long-term relationship. Okay. And I was heartbroken. And yeah. also I went to uni in London while my parents were living up in Harrogate in Yorkshire. And mm-hmm. that felt hard because I didn't feel like that was really I didn't feel like I had a home at either place and I was going to family near London for the weekends to escape my horrible dingy flat in a horrible area of London and I think I just felt a bit all over the place very ungrounded and maybe who knows maybe it was me trying to take control of something that I always felt I didn't have control of i.e my how I looked how I Mm. thought I looked. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm thinking that you must have felt that you had, well, you've just said you had no, no home and no grounding Mm. and no sort of safety net and Mm. eating disorders are safety nets, aren't they? They are. Definitely. It's a comfort. Yeah. And you put your stuff into having an, an eating disorder, not that you necessarily are aware of it at the time. And they support you in, in many ways. They're can, can be very helpful at times. So did you stop eating? At first, yeah, it was definitely just um, uh, take skipping meals. Um, yeah, it just it was a restriction taken too far, but I loved losing the weight. For, one, mm. for, for once in my life, I felt confident, you know, I've always, yeah. there's always like, I've always been conscious of like my legs and if that they were sort of more chunkier thighs and for once I had like me too I was losing weight drastically Mm. and and it was coming off but the whole time I was also aware of the damage it was doing because pretty quickly I lost my periods my hair was falling out Um, did you how quick was that within a few months really within a few months I was on the pill uh for contraception and yeah for contraception and had been for a couple of years and then I was it was starting to get a bit wacky like things weren't when I normally had the period wasn't happening so I think that things were going a bit wrong and and that was when I was losing weight and then every time I brushed my hair more hair would come out it was really thinning and then I'd say by the Christmas so I'd say this was all happening September October or first when I first started restricting so when I went to uni went back to uni and then by Christmas my I'd say my periods had gone a well and um wow wow yeah and when you went home did your what was the reaction from your family um well it it got worse progressively over the next couple of years but every time I went home in that initial stage and and you know see uh family friends it'd be like oh gosh you're losing weight and oh gosh you're so skinny and did that still feel good no because I also I still wore baggy clothes and still didn't want anyone to look at me even when I was yeah. below weight. I think it's because I, it's like I didn't want anyone to to notice it. I was in complete denial that no one else knew what was going on. Did you want people to notice, not notice the weight loss or not notice you? Not notice the weight loss. Right. I think. Okay. Um, and were you exercising? Yeah. And then I started what? to exercise for all the wrong reasons, i.e. just burning calories. Um, I've always been into sport. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Always been sporty. Um, 
but it just turned from the mindset with it changed the yeah. um I'd say the amount didn't really change because I've literally always played sport to a high level but uh I never used to think of it as burning x amount of calories sure so yeah you're so right about the mindset yeah so what did you eat minimally all the time or did you eat nothing and then binge how did you it was a real combination I mean it started just eating minimally and then I think my my body was then craving um Mm -hmm. and I would binge but I would never not purge I've never not done that I could I think I always I only ever um binge knowing if I could sort of get it out and do you know what that was about when you were purging do you know what you were trying to get rid of obviously you're trying to get rid of the food but do you do you know anything else other than that no I don't think I've ever really got down to the bottom of it but I think I just liked that feeling of feeling like light and empty Um, yeah yeah empty physically empty maybe there's more to that um how long would that feeling last until I'd be hungry for my next meal. <laughs> yeah, of course, which is probably pretty quickly, isn't it? Um, but it would always normally happen in the evening. So I'd then go back to just normal restricting the next day. Um, so, and how long would that go on for? Cause I'm, I'm just, I'm curious because I used to do something very similar. I would restrict my food. Um, and of course at the beginning it's fine, isn't it? Mm. Your body can cope with it and you think, yeah, this is great. This is a real solution to all my issues and problems. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and then I would be so hungry, I'd binge and I'd always purge. It was unthinkable, unthinkable mm. for me to have that that amount of food or any food inside of me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, so those those periods of time would obviously, as I grew older, got shorter and shorter. So I'm wondering how long you'd kind of last between binging or would you not eat all day and then binge in the evening? I was conscious that I didn't want it's hard it was like sort of toying with myself in the sense I've always always very aware of everything that was going on because I've studied biology and I was aware of the damage it was doing to my body so I went to the doctors pretty much straight away and said look I've lost my periods but obviously according to them my BMI wasn't quite low enough um, right and it just got worse and worse um, because I was never sick enough in inverted commas Um, but with the restricting in the day I think I was aware that I had to eat something otherwise it was a hundred percent I would then binge because I you know your body can't deal with nothing so I would sort of allow myself things I think at my worst I was probably allowing myself sort of 500 to 800 calories a day and then it got and then as I've I came out of it and came out of the anorexia at least I had doubled that but there was always still a cap for a long period of time, you know, never really want to go over 1,800 or something like that. Um, How long did you, actually, I mean, did you just increase your calories yourself or did you get some help? I mean, how did you, you just, how did did you move away from that? Um, Did you? I did. Because you just thought this is really, really bad for me. Yeah, I've dipped in and out of numerous kinds of therapy, but there's just not enough with eating disorders. There's not enough funding. Um, there is really isn't enough help and it was even worse uh for the three years I was in London because uh they're just over overworked whereas when I went yeah. to did my master's in Leeds they were much better the mental health services in Leeds were much better um so you had no eating disorder 
counselling service at, at uni in London? No. Or were you saying that it was so oversubscribed you couldn't yeah. even get a look in? I didn't even get a look in. I had the a couple of sessions of free counselling with the uni, which they give, but that was basically blamed to my parents, which they weren't very helpful for, uh, thankful for. Okay. Um, I think. Did your parents try and intervene? I think. I think my mum was so worried she just went silent, you know. And then dad would say unhelpful okay. comments like, "I'll oh, just eat," and it's like it's if only it was that simple. Um, you it's know. difficult for parents, isn't it? So if their difficult. Kids aren't, so difficult. Aren't eating or throwing? Did they know that you were bulimic? Not at first. Um, that was kept, you know, much much more secretive and I think that's the danger of it because it, it can be yeah um and that then you, for, can, went on for much longer um so are you still bulimic no but I get urges yeah I'm sure and what do you do with the urge I'm still seeing counsellors about that counsellors or can, uh, counsellor um therapist okay. about that just because how is that yeah fine I found that I, it's better to speaking to people that have been through it themselves because um, mm-hmm. I've seen therapists that are more uh, not like they might be specialists in eating disorders but you can just tell if they haven't been through it themselves um, okay but I, I really do appreciate it's hard for for parents um, and actually I ended up speaking more to family friends and mum's friends because there was less emotional attachment I think it was too much for my mum too much for me to talk about it with her um and I find that with a lot of things that maybe there's too much emotional charge that actually your parents might not be the best people to go to some people are very lucky and they're more have that friendship relationship with their parents but I just didn't um but luckily a couple of family friends actually reached out to me and they said, I know what you're doing. And they'd been through it themselves. And I would never have known that. How fantastic. How I, if I hadn't have been through it myself, it's like two people in our close family friends that are bulimic women. And I just, I think until I went through things myself, I didn't realize also how f***ed up everyone else is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well done. I mean, that's that's really something, isn't it? That that you had the, that support there. Yeah. And they saw you and said, "Oi, we know what you're up to." Yeah. No, that was that's incredible. That was good, and and I just, yeah, I think it's tough. Um, I think the lack of support I got, but maybe I also reached out for. I kept telling myself I was fine. I think that just extended the length of time I went through it. I think that's the thing about bulimia, isn't it? That you are all singing and dancing on the outside mm. um, because it's not not nearly as visible as when you're exactly, anorexic. Exactly. And I think I think when I put weight back on or was at a healthy BMI, I sort of felt like I got people off my back a bit. Yeah, I understand that. Let's have a little let's have a little break. We'll be back with you in a minute. Thank you. You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm here talking to Abby Attenborough. Before the break, we were talking about Abby's bulimia and uh, how she was able to stop being anorexic, but actually unable to stop being bulimic. And I was saying in the break how impressed I was. Abby's 24 
and um, has chosen to talk about her eating disorder history so she can have the conversation to, uh, I think, what did you say? Blow the stigma apart. Was that what we were talking about at the yeah, beginning? Break the stigma apart. I break just, the stigma apart. Yeah. Because, yeah, and I was saying that I would never talk to anybody and I didn't really get my eating disorder sorted until I was in my early 40s. Um, and I certainly would have never fessed up because I was busy telling everybody that I was fine. So you're you're very strong-willed, Abby, and very tenacious. And I, you know, all power to you. Yeah, I think that's definitely um, one quality of my personality that I know I am and is a positive. Um, I think I was just so scared of the harm I was doing to myself. And what what do you think the harm was? What was noticeable and what did you kind of know about that you couldn't see? I was worried about what it would do to my heart, my esophagus, my teeth, my skin. Right. Yeah. All the kind of um all the kind of side effects they say that you can get as well as just the side effects from restricting really um that come with anorexia um uh and then I, I got like lower blood pressure and my iron levels and all these kind of vitamin and mineral deficiencies were coming in. So it was just a number of things that I was just feeling really scared of. Did you have any physical flags? Did anything start to happen or? Apart from the loss of periods, not okay. really. Um did, were your iron levels very low? Oh, apart from, yeah, iron levels and my skin was really, uh, like, you know, just all over the place. Um, were you, how was your, how was your, how were you, how were your energy levels and your fatigue? Oh yeah. Energy was, you know, awful. I was upping my coffee and, um, yeah. didn't have energy to go for the kind of long runs I used to go on or, um, yeah, I was just generally fatigued. Um, I would wake up not feeling like I'd had nine hours sleep. I'd wake up feeling I'd had five. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've felt any of those symptoms yourself. Oh, I've had all of them. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, for years and years. That's why I'm so impressed with you that you've that you've nipped it in the bud so quickly. Yes, I had terrible fatigue. I've had my teeth. Oh well, I've had my teeth done twice. Um, yep. Skin all over the place. Um, kind of made myself infertile. Um, yeah. Wow. It's a long list. Wow. Long list. That's also what I was scared of. Um, cause I want to have kids. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm, that's the one thing that got me out of the anorexia actually. Um, I wouldn't say it was any counseling or therapy I had. It was the fact that I was like, I want to have children. And a family friend said to me, she was like, do you want to have kids? And I said, yes. And I just broke down into tears and I remember exactly where I was mm. and, and what she said to me. Um, and I was babysitting her fat, her kids at the time. And, and I think she just looked at me because she knew how I was with them. And mm. yeah, so that for me, and, and again, that has always been something that I will will go to the doctor about if they're a bit all over the place. So so that was like a light bulb moment. Yeah, I'd say I didn't really ever have the light bulb moment. It's been 
a slow and steady process. It was a slow and steady process into it and it's a slow and steady process out of it. I think that's because I am really aware. I was aware of what I was doing when I was restricting. I was aware of what I was doing to come out of it. Um, okay, okay. Because uh, you do speak to people and they they somehow find themselves in an eating store. They don't really know how they got there, but I know exactly yeah. how I got there. That's Yeah, that's very interesting. Did you speak about it with your friends? Um. Well, the thing was at the time I went, I was at uni, so they were all new friends at uni in that Did sense. you share it though? No. And they kind of, I guess, knew me as when I was really, really skinny. Um, and then I guess my friends outside of uni knew, but I'd only see them, they'd only see, I'd only see them once in a while and then they'd see pictures online. And, and I think when we had a few get togethers, yeah, obviously they saw and a few tried to reach out and message me, but I just completely ignored it and pushed it away. Um, yeah, of course, of course. What, yeah. um, you mentioned something in the break when we were talking about the secrecy, the secret, the secrecy of bulimia. Um, yeah, that's what we were talking about beforehand, weren't we? And how, uh, it's not obvious. You can have bulimia. You can be bulimic for years, for all your life, and it's not necessarily obvious. Mm -hmm. And you said that you're very honest and you, you don't lie. Well, I that is my personality trait, but I, that's why I feel like it was so against my personality to to carry this. Um, and can it's okay. Can we? What when you say carry it? I just can you physically? Was it if you were to give it an image? Do you know what that looks like? they always you know it's like with the negative voice in your head give it a name I can never pick on one thing I just pick okay pick on a couple uh, it's just this this overwhelming weight on my shoulders it's on your shoulders it's on my shoulders and it takes up my thought and it takes up my energy um it's just Is it like something that drains you like drains the life force out of you yeah yeah um okay and another reason which I guess helped me out of it is because I just felt like I wasn't growing as a person. I'm very like, I like to be productive. I have big goals. I'm ambitious. And I just felt like it, like you said, it was zapping the life out of me. Yeah. And I just thought I'm never going to achieve what do I want to achieve in life if this is still there. So how did you, okay, because how did you do, deal with the feelings? So when you started to as you say slowly come out of it I imagine your emotional state was all over the place yeah it's it's been a combination of things like trying all sorts of things group CBT CBT um, <laughs> yoga meditation journaling some mm -hmm. things sometimes work for me sometimes they don't it's what hard. does work for you what does work for you yoga um, yeah because I've sometimes find I have to be in a good space to meditate if that makes sense I can't if I'm scatty I then I find that hard whereas yeah. yoga I can be scatty but I'm still moving my body and still then focusing on my breath um, yeah. journaling is quite a good brain dump but I'm not as consistent as I'd like to be with that um, but then what do you think go on sorry I was just going to say then I'm aware of myself just then saying should and I'm trying not to put shoulds on what I should be doing and should be doing Oh, don't worry about that. that. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, it's a combination of things. I think I found group CBT really helpful because like you said, the bulimia is very isolating, but I was with a group of people who were going through exactly the same thing. Um, and it didn't feel so, I didn't feel so alone. And actually there were a few older women in that group who were struggling years later and I just didn't want to be them. And I knew that, you know, the longer this went on, the harder it would be for me to get out of it. And I'm not lying. Like I still have tendencies. I still have thoughts. And, um, I think it's going to be a ongoing battle for a long time. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I still have tendencies and I still have thoughts and it's not that the, there is an absence of them. It's whether you are able to accommodate them and whether you're able to accommodate your feelings and um, just sort of be with it. You know, it's okay because mm-hmm. it, I, I don't, I just think it's, it's like, you know, shaking hands with your demons yeah, and your defenses, and when your your you know your defenses are in your corner, and your on your anxieties, and and they just everything just calms down. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it wasn't. I don't think it was about eating disorders, but they said they had this. It was Nigel or something was the the demon, mm. and they just try and laugh at Nigel as much as they yeah. could. Um, yeah, maybe maybe Nigel's like you know good for a party. Yeah. I think it is just not acting on the thoughts. Um, so what are the thoughts? What do you, do you know what feelings you're trying to manage? Um, it's funny. I was speaking about this with somebody else and I have spoke about it with in past therapy that it started off as something and ended up being something else. It started off as me wanting to lose weight and, and, and burying feelings and it being a comfort. And then I think it ended up being a habit. Um, because it was still even happening when I moved away from London and I uh, still had great friends. I loved my uni course. I loved where I was living and those things were still happening. So that made me think maybe it has become a bit of a habit. Do you think that habit helped you in any way? Are there any positives that you can draw? No. (laughs) Really? Well, maybe feelings like... I guess giving less space to other worries because I literally didn't have the time (laughs) okay what about that you obviously will have this body of knowledge or feelings and experience for your work I think I don't know I really don't know is it possible that you kind of like ditch your toe in the water because you'll be able to impart all this wisdom I mean, I'm definitely much more empathetic towards anyone going through an eating disorder now. I remember being at school and being like, oh, I don't know how anyone can starve themselves. God, I love food. Wow. And wow. Uh, Isn't that interesting? How naive was I? Well, I, yeah, but if you're a reward, if the, if the, the gift is, is greater empathy, then um, yeah. job well done, really. Yeah, I'm definitely much more of a compassionate person. And I was talking to a, a, a doctor bariatric surgeon and how we need to see like even the other spectrum obesity as a disease because some people have dieted their whole lives and it's not because they've been unsuccessful it's because if they literally their metabolism is so there's an imbalance in their brain where their hypothalamus thinks they um 
their leptin levels are off. So whatever right. they do, they will always never be feel fed. They will, and yeah. that has nothing to do with them. Like it is a disease and therefore, yeah. you know, we've yeah. got to stop this fattest culture. And I think is exactly that some people are just wired these ways. And yeah. I now have so much more empathy for people that are in a, a, a larger body because you know, it's 50-50. A lot of the time it is the Western lifestyle, but it's also the mm -hmm. other half where it really isn't. They've dieted their whole life and failed because they have to, because if they eat, you know, a hundred calories over their sort of set weight, they will gain yeah. weight. Um, and sure. that, I think I've just learned to be so much more compassionate and non-judgmental of what people look like. And because I've had to do that with myself to come out of it, I've had to stop being so cruel. The stuff I would say, I don't know what, if you've similar thing, but when you think, God, you'd never say that to a friend. Um, for sure. For sure. Um, if, uh, yeah, I agree with you. And also the research, I was speaking about this on a podcast the other day, but the research into the parietal lobe and the, um, what gets laid down in, in the brain and then happens in the body schema. Yeah. It's a very interesting area of research. Hmm. If food, if food were a character, this is food. If food were a character, what would the food, what would that character look like? Any food? Just food as a kind of general name, yeah. I don't know, because I guess, like the coming back to the beginning question, when I feel like I'm not in control or, you know, I guess how they diagnose the binge eating or the, the bulimia is eating, you're in, eating in uncontrollable amounts. In that aspect, it's very much a demon, a devil, or, but then when yeah. I'm having fun with friends and I'm, it's Christmas time and, you know, we have our Attenborough traditions or it's, it's, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm very into culture and, and I love traveling. So I really try and eat, uh, the food that's from that country and, and yeah. in that respect it's enjoyment. So I have to say different situations, different characters. That hasn't really answered your question, but... No, I like it. It's to answer my question perfectly. It's answered my question perfectly. I'm struck uh, about the polarity, but that's what eating disorders are about. It's it's either this, 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 this friend or it's this foe, isn't it? The, the, mm. the fact is that you, you can really enjoy food and celebrate it, particularly in different mm. people's cultures. Mm. And also you can just refuse to have anything to do with it. I think it's interesting you say that because I think deep down that's the enjoyment and when I think of how I was when I didn't have any of this I think that's what I meant to be like that's what I was like so I'm maybe striving to always get back to that and that freedom around food that I let myself have and oh I see yes when I said refuse to have anything to do with it I meant refuse to eat yeah but yeah I like how you interpreted that but also refuse to eat. I guess that's a control thing. Um, but yeah, but you feel if you don't eat, you feel high. That's that's mm. that's true. If you and we, I was talking about this as well on a podcast the other day. If you intermittent when you fast, you feel high. Once you've got over your initial hunger, mm. and I think most anorexics are very very hungry. Mm. But there are long periods of time when you're not hungry and you feel high. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because when I was going through the bulimia as well, I think something that held on to that was the high I felt of feeling empty after the purge. Um, yeah. And 
also the fact that because I was telling myself, you know, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. Fat isn't even a, th- a thing. Like fat is a, a, a describing word. Like mm. it's it's just crazy how we can, you know, you can't, it's how we put this value on the word and how that was so ingrained in my psyche that I was this. And I think it was just this loathing, this self-loathing. Whereas, yeah, like you said, when you're hungry, I thought, I'm not, it was the only place where I felt I wasn't fat if I was hungry. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, this self-loathing, because I think uh, to be anorexic or to inhabit that world within, you know, within yourself and also bulimia, I think they're very hostile, violent acts against Mm. the self. Mm. Yeah, I think we all have our vices and our self-destructive behaviours, but unfortunately some are more extreme than others, whether that's uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, addicted to sex, addicted to shopping. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think they all, they're similar. I just think the, the problem with food is that you do actually need to eat. Yeah, the problem with food is we're faced with that three times a day, well, or more in some cases, where you're fighting a, all these urges. You've got to feed you've got to eat to live but you've also there's so many times throughout the day where it could go the other way and be uncontrollable so it's just it's very very hard for people that have issues with food because I think we're all on the spectrum of disordered eating in some way shape yeah. or form we all have some sort of relation relationship with food whether that's a negative or a positive one um absolutely let's take a little break You're listening to This Food Thing with me, Gemma Richards. Welcome back to This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with the lovely Abby Attenborough. Um, and Abby has a few things that she'd like to talk about, re how insidious, that was your word, wasn't it? <laughs> how insidious and common eating disorders are. And I think you're probably a little bit more clued in than I am because I tend to, I know I'm doing a podcast uh, and talking about eating disorders, but um, I tend to keep myself away from facts and figures and new information. Um, mm. And so being confronted with it now, uh, it's, I'm, I'm shocked because I know the numbers are high, but I'm sure you can enlighten us. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I know just from uh, lockdown, there's been such an increase in, in eating disorders. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and even binge eating disorder, which I didn't realize was... Um, like one of the more newly sort of there's much less evidence around it um and they didn't really know I think a lot of scientists associated it or a lot of people associate it with just being obese and 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 or being greedy and greedy but actually or having you can control have, you yeah. can have very slim people with binge eating disorder just like you can have um underweight people with bulimia or overweight people with bulimia I think it's one in 50 people that have binge eating disorder now yeah I've been reading about it actually yeah that is just so common but the rates of um uh eating disorders and people that may have had tendencies before that are now just been exacerbated over lockdown is is scary and 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 I think also they're getting younger and younger um my friend, Do you have any feelings about that? Sorry, your friend, go on. I was just going to say my friend who also does a, a, a podcast for raising awareness about eating disorders showed me something about kids the age of below 10 and, and, and wow. age of five and things that are suffering. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Do you I know just what think it's about? sad. I just, I, I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with how parents are around food. And if you have, you're in a family where, well, I don't know if your mum eats at a different time and different foods, like um, young kids, they learn from doing and copying and and seeing. So any kind of behaviours that are there in the family, whether that be overeating, undereating, whatever it may be, is going to trickle down into the kids. And I guess that's maybe, maybe what's happening. And also the rise of social media and the constant comparisons daily. Um, you know, when I was a young kid, it would be a magazine cover, but you sort of know that that's a model and that you sort of know in the back of your mind, that's unrealistic. And it would be one model once a month or something. Whereas now it's every day scrolling on your social media feeds, seeing bodies that they're portraying it as normal and natural as in this is me going for my latte and my designer clothes with my <laughs> thin waist and my big boobies and big bum so that it's they're like making it as though it's normal but really it's taken them a hundred shots and editing to get that photo so it's not normal but kids are thinking that is normal yes because they don't have the experience to go this is obviously as you say not normal but just to go back a little bit you said that at the beginning that you didn't have mixed messages about food from your parents. No. And I think that's maybe why it only started much later for me. Um, because I think there was just maybe, it was just a concoction of feelings and thoughts and a life events and personality type. And I'm, I'll never pinpoint exactly how or why or when, but. Heartbreak can do it though, can't it? Yeah, maybe. I think that was a big factor for me. I just, I just thinking about the the kids that are young, you know, ten, and you mentioned five. You know, maybe they've got stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's neuroscience stuff. Um, and I'm, but I, I think the thing about it is, is because the conversation hasn't been had. So when I was in the throes of all my eating disorders, no one talks about them. I certainly didn't talk about them. Mm. Um, it was hard to get any treatment. I'm as lucky as I had private treatment. I think, um, I think it's of me it's not talking about it was shame. Whereas oh, now a hundred percent, hundred percent is yeah. about shame, toxic shame. Yeah. Whereas now I'm just, I'm kind of tired. I'm just like, it. yeah, it's all about shame. I was kind of trying to lead you there earlier. I didn't want to name it. Um, I think that's what makes it so very difficult is mm. the shame that people feel with an eating disorder. And even after talking to me on the podcast, I know that people have felt, and myself included, vulnerable and some old feelings of shame, however they're experienced. Do you know how you experience your feelings of shame? Do you feel them in your body? Um, I don't know. I guess maybe that's part of the the analogy of that thing weighing down on my shoulder. Maybe that's also... The shame. There it is. You carry your shame on your back. Yeah. So you can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, I think you're very brave mm. and very articulate and very clever <laughs> to get yourself out of where you've been because it can just go on and on and on. And it's no way to live your life. It really isn't. You don't have any time for anyone else. And it doesn't get better. It gets worse and worse. So, you know, I'm I'm applauding you here. Before yeah. we go, I would like to ask you, if you were on a desert island, what five foods would you take to your island? Ooh. Ooh. Doesn't have to be a desert island. Could be okay. in Scandinavia somewhere. Well, 
because you said Ireland, what popped into my head was foods I was eating when I was traveling on a very much island life in Indonesia. And right. I feel like something, here's my biology coming in, something that would keep me going, coconut milk. Lovely. Um, fresh from the coconut, coconut water. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then you can eat the flesh, which is just gorgeous because I love coconut, and then drink the juice, which is super hydrating. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I've got my coconut. Um you don't have to be good. You can have whatever you want. Okay. Uh, have to be white chocolate. <laughs> That's my yeah. favorite. Or yeah. dark. I'm I'm very much dark or, or white with that. Um, okay. I love like the proper 80, 90% stuff. Yeah. I never used mm-hmm. to like that. But uh-huh. then I couldn't have dark chocolate and mint. Like after eights are just a no-go. What? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I used to eat after eights with the paper on. <gasps> I don't know why. I don't know why. Go on then. So you've got dark or white chocolate. You've got um, coconut, fresh coconut. What's number three? Number three would have to be uh, peanut butter. Oh, yes. I'm coming to your island. <laughs> number four would have to be coffee. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm also staying on your island. Um, okay, let's have another food. Fish. I'm obsessed. Anything. Okay. Like, cause then I can, I'm really living the island life. I'm going to hunt this fish fresh. Okay. I'm going to have a uh, garlic f- prawns. I'm going to have, <laughs> uh, well, I'd somehow find the garlic. Yeah. Um, but I can give and take everything else really, to be honest. I don't have, um, yeah, I don't think I could be vegan cause I don't think I could live without fish. Okay. Okay. That sounds pretty good. Um, Abby, thank you so much for coming on to this food thing podcast. It's been oh, thank you. a little eye-opener to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing and being so candid. Thank, thank you. you.